our way through Acts, um, we're going to take lots of breaks throughout the summer uh, because that's just kind of the way that it goes. And uh, today is one of those breaks uh, as we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now, I want to say this before I even begin the full preaching, okay? I love this country. It is the greatest country on earth. It is not perfect, not by a long shot, and whether you liked Donald Trump or Joe Biden, or neither of them, um, whether you were like, we need Ronald Reagan back, I'm kind of certain we need George Washington back at this point, but I love this country. There is no country on earth that has ever had or ever will have again the sorts of freedoms that this country gives us. Now, we can debate back and forth about whether or not we should have certain freedoms. I'm not going to get into that with you today. Actually, I am, just for a hot second, because uh, the head of the board said that I need to address this, and I was going to address it during announcements, and I forgot about it, okay? I want to, so this has nothing to do with the sermon, so pause the sermon idea where we were going with that, okay? We'll come back to it. Your pastor and this church, this church, what's a church? Your pastor and this church is, and, well, are, I guess, English, I don't like this language, are extremely pro-life, okay? However, last week, I did not mention the Roe v. Wade decision that came down from the Supreme Court. That is because, quite frankly, and the only reason I'm addressing it today is because some people asked me about it, why I did not talk about it from the pulpit. And here is the fact of the matter. As your pastor, I am not here to try to get you to vote for a certain politician or anything like that. Whatever SCOTUS or POTUS or the Congress does, it is not my job to defend it or destroy it from the pulpit. Now, if you'd like to come personally and ask me about my political views, I will probably tell you some of them. None of you in here get to know everything, or I won't say get to, have the right to know everything that I think or believe about politics, okay? So, let me put this to bed now. As long as Samuel David Brush is the pastor of FBC New Milford. I will not talk about SCOTUS, POTUS, or Congress decisions from the pulpit. It is not my job. Now, my job is to present what Scripture says, and there are a great many things that spiritual and politics intersect. What the Supreme Court decides is not part of it. So I just want to put that to bed so that you don't have to wonder in the future because there will be more decisions from the Supreme Court and whoever is president, whether it's Joe Biden or a, you know, 50 years from now, there will be things that come down from the president and from Congress or the governor for that matter. I'm not just talking about federal government, state government as well. The New Milford Borough could make a decision. It is not my job to defend it or support it or, or destroy it from the pulpit. Okay? If you would like to ask me about my personal views, I will gladly sit down and have a conversation with you about my personal views one-on-one, -on -one. just not from the pulpit. It's not my job. My job is to present what Scripture says, no matter what the world says or does, whether it's right, wrong, or somewhere in the middle. Okay? Did I cover that fairly well? Perfect.
All right, now, back to the sermon. Okay. So, and I was going to do that during the announcements and completely forgot. So, so like I was saying, this is the greatest country on earth. And the reason I can say no other country will ever have the freedoms that we have is because when Jesus sets up his kingdom, it's not a country anymore. It's a whole, there aren't separate countries at that point. So, whether you love this country and think it has flaws or whatever you fall on, the fact of the matter is you have freedoms in this country that are not granted anywhere else in the world. It pales in comparison to the freedom that God has given you. This is not a 4th of July sermon. I will not stand up here and preach to you about how George Washington and Hamilton and Jefferson and John Adams all had it right because here's the thing, they were human so they didn't. Much as we might love them, they weren't perfect. They had a lot of issues. This country has the same ones. But I do want to take this time to talk to you about the freedom that God gives and what that freedom actually means for you and I. Because I think oftentimes, and I'm not pointing fingers at you guys, because I have done it in my life and will do it in my life in the future, kind of mix up the freedoms that America, the country, grants to me and the freedoms that God, the creator, sustainer, and savior of my soul, grants to me. Some of them intersect, but not all of them. And some of them actually fly in the face of each other at points. And if they ever do, you better choose the freedoms that God chose to give you, not the ones America chose for you. So let's talk about freedom a little bit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We should just stop there and go home. Because if we only read that first half of the verse, boy, we can do anything we want to. I like that one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Verse 7 now. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Let's talk about this. Number one on your note sheets, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one on your note sheets, a different yoke. A different yoke. 
okay? So, of course, Jesus talks about this, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So let's talk about that yoke a little bit. Because verse 1 here clearly states, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, yet elsewhere in the Bible, it calls us slaves to Christ. How do we reconcile this? You are not, again, supposed to be subject to a yoke of slavery and to the world, of, excuse me, of sin and to the world. It's a different yoke. It's a different kind of slavery. Make no mistake about this. Christ set you free, not so that you could go and live the exact life you want to live. He set you free so you could go home and be with him one day. It's not freedom to do whatever you wish. It's freedom to follow after God. And this yoke that you're not supposed to put back on is a yoke of sin. Now, I'm not saying that you'll never sin again. However, comma, you do have the power to never sin again. You have the Holy Spirit in you, which means you have the ability to never sin again. The issue is we're humans, and we don't often, you know, rely on the Spirit. I won't say often. Always rely on the Spirit. We rely on ourselves, and then we sin. But technically, from the moment you're saved, you have the power in you to never sin again. If any of you ever does that, please let me know. You'll be the only one since Jesus, all right? But the fact of the matter is you're not supposed to have the yoke of sin on you anymore. This isn't talking about consequences for our sins. It is talking about you are not supposed to be bound by sin anymore. Whether it's the sin of lust, of jealousy, of greed, of, of alcoholism, or drunkenness, I should say, whatever, right? You are not supposed to be bound by that yoke of sin anymore. Now, here's the thing, right? So, if you don't know what a yoke is, it's that wooden piece that goes over oxen or cattle, you know, that is used to either pull a wagon or pull a plow, something like that. And what happened was the yoke would form to the shoulders of the particular animal over a period of time. And eventually that yoke, while it was still heavy, was no longer a full-on burden to bear anymore. That's the yoke that Jesus gives. However, here's where your freedom comes in. He will not force you to, to wear that yoke. If you are bound and determined to still wear the yoke of sin, you can. You'll regret it, but you can. So Paul is saying here, listen, stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of sin and the world, what they think and what they want. Be firm to Christ. He then goes on and talks a lot about circumcision here. Show of hands, how many of you in here are, no, 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 no. Things that make you go, Number two on your note sheet, freedom from the law. Freedom from the law. Now, Jesus himself says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? So, does that then mean that we should follow every single step, every single little thing that the law says? No, because we have been set free from the burden of having to fall straight in with the law. Now, some of you may be going, well, that's a free-for-all then. You can't put out what the rest of the Bible says, much of what is in the law is also in the New Testament. You just don't have to follow a kosher diet anymore. However, if you really want to be healthy, kosher diet's one of the healthiest ones you can follow. Just so you know. I don't. I had sausage this morning. But I'm just letting you know, if you really want to be healthy, um, I prefer yummy food. So, you know, that's just me. Um, no. 
You have been, however. So he uses this whole thing. And why did he use circumcision? And eventually in Acts, as we walk through Acts, we'll get to this. But there was a sect of people that was teaching the churches that in order to truly be a Christian, you had to get circumcised. Men, women, I'm sorry, you won't understand this particular pain. I'm not saying it's worse or better or anything like that than childbirth. I don't understand that pain. I've never experienced it and I never will. Just the same as you will never experience this particular pain, okay? Men, we all know that that is our most sensitive area. Now imagine that you're in your 30s, 40s, whatever, and somebody goes, there is no such thing as anesthetic or numbing. Here's a blade, we chopping it off. I don't want that. I'm assuming you don't either. That's why when people get circumcised, it's usually when they're, what, a couple weeks old? Is that days? Is it days? Again, I'm not a parent. I've never had to do this before, so I don't know. Right? They're really young, so you don't remember it. You don't have any recollection of this horrific deed happening to you. So these people are going around to these churches and telling all the men, in order to actually be a Christian, you must get circumcised. Because, and here's the thing, and again, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we're reading through Acts, but the original thought process was you had to be a Jew in order to become a Christian. And to be a Jew, you had to be circumcised. So in order to be a Christian, you had to have been circumcised. There's going to be a whole meeting in Jerusalem where Peter and Paul are going to be like, no, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. That's not what Christ came for. So Paul here is dealing with this. He uses it because it's in the, in the forefront of people's minds. And he says, listen, if all you had to do to be a Christian was get circumcised, then what was the point of Jesus coming? What was the point? If Christ's blood, if Christ's death and his resurrection does not cover you, and you need to do something, what was the point? So whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. And then he says, listen, if you firmly believe you have to be circumcised and that's what saves you, go ahead, go get circumcised. You've missed the point, you've lost it. Could they still be a, become a Christian? Of course they could. But he goes, if that's what you are thinking, whatever. This isn't about circumcision. And he sums it up at the end of verse 6. I'm going to read the whole one. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Here's the whole point. The law is not what gives you righteousness anymore. The law is not what sets you free from sin. It is Christ that sets you free from sin. He wants the church to understand that. And Christ through thousands of years, wants us to understand that. It is not about the law. No amount of good works, good deeds, anything like that is going to save you. It is strictly by Christ. That's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. No alternate paths. They don't all lead to the same way. There is one way. That's it. So we've talked about the fact that Christ has given us freedom from sin, right? We defended that it's not through the law anymore. Number three on your note sheet, how to use freedom. How to use freedom. Because the fact of the matter is, we love freedom. What's the popular saying? My freedom to throw a punch ends where your nose begins. Right? Technically, I have the freedom to just swing about until I make contact with somebody. Does that mean we should just go swinging about all over the place? Okay, 
Laura thinks we should. I would suggest no one go near her at the dance party. No, no. How to use our freedom. A couple of do's before we get into some don'ts. You know, people love to say the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. Don't believe them. There are a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts in the Bible. Let's talk about a few. Number one, under your do's, love and serve people. Love and serve people. My ability to throw a fist does not end where your nose begins. It doesn't. Am I loving you or serving you? That's where my freedom is. My freedom, quite frankly, is not that I get to say anything I want to say whenever I want to say it. Now, in America, you have freedom of speech, correct? It's the first one in the First Amendment. Amen. That also means you have the freedom to shut your mouth. And more often than not, Jesus wants you to shut your mouth. Because you cause way more harm than good. One of the sayings my dad instilled in me, better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're an idiot than open it and prove them right. Here's the thing. You have the freedom to speak in America. And I am not telling you that you shouldn't speak out truth. I'm not telling you that you should not preach the gospel. I am telling you, God did not give you the freedom to say whatever you want to say whenever you want to say it. In age or gender or political status or economic status, social status, does not change that. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are supposed to keep your mouth shut about a lot of things that we love to open our mouths about. Because you have the freedom to love and serve people. I'm not standing here saying that when we see evil in the world, we should just go, well, I'm not going to open my mouth about that. Of course not. I am saying, though, and here's your litmus test. When you open your mouth, is it scripture in love that comes out? Or is it you proving yourself right and being self-righteous? Because if it is, shut your mouth. Keep it closed. Can you be Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter, I think it's four? Because if you can't, you shouldn't speak and let somebody who can be the one who speaks. Loving and serving one another. Truth is truth. I will never deny that. But if I can't speak truth into your life, with love abiding and abounding in every syllable of that sentence, it's better I don't speak. And let somebody else who can be the one who speaks. You also have freedom to fulfill the law. What does it mean to fulfill the law? Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love others. I'm not standing up here and saying, here's the thing, right? In our culture, in our world, we have equated love with um, uh, allowances, I love you, therefore I will allow you to think, do, believe anything you'd like to. No, that's not love. Jesus loved immeasurably and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
I'm not standing up here and saying that we should not stand firm on truth. We should. And as this world continues down the path, it is on, which we cannot change. Because the Bible says that is the path it will be on until Christ comes back. I'm not telling you not to vote to influence righteousness. I'm not telling you not to try to do the right thing and stuff like that. I am saying do not get upset when the world continues to get darker. The Bible said it was going to. Don't be shocked. However, that means all the more we stand on truth. And all the more we stand in love. Whatever your political beliefs, put them out the window. You need to love people. I'm not telling you not to vote. I have voted in every election since I was 18 years old. And should the Lord tarry, I will continue to vote in elections. I am saying I want people to know me not as a Republican. I don't even want them to know me as a pastor. I want them to know me as a Christian who loves people. First off and foremost. And I'm not good at it. I'm trying to get better. Because it's what we're called to do with the freedom that's been granted to me and to you. Couple of don'ts now as well, though. Just two. Don't sin. Romans tells us, Paul says in Romans, should I sin all the more so that grace may abound? Let it never be so. You have not been given the freedom to do whatever it is you want to do. Whenever you want to do it. You haven't. And you will never be given that freedom from God. You're not even given that freedom in America. I can't walk into the bank on Tuesday and be like, I want $5,000. And they're like, no. I'm like, I'm free here. This is America. Give me the money. It's not how it works. You don't even have that freedom in America, right? You don't have the freedom to do whatever you want to, whenever you want to. You also don't have that freedom in Christ. And secondly, and this is the one that I think, because we all know we're not supposed to sin, right? And I don't think anybody in here would go, yeah, I actively try to sin, I don't think anybody would do that. Here's the bigger issue that churches have, though. We are not supposed to fight against other Christians. We are supposed to be a unified body of believers. In this church, and with every other church around us, that is, in a word, evangelical, that believes the basic same truths as us, right? Here's the thing. If a church wants to believe that you need to speak in tongues, cool. Have they, do they say the only way to heaven is Jesus? All right. We might not do a combined service because it might freak some of us out. But we better be willing to help each other get people saved. If there's a church that thinks you should change pastors every four to five years, okay. Do they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is the only way to heaven? No other way is there. That's the most important one. If you're going to die on a hill, choose to die on that one. And that hill means that we shouldn't be fighting with each other. I don't mean disagreeing, okay? We're all going to have disagreements about things. Come to our board meetings. No. no, the board is almost always unified on things. But we are all people, right? We all are, we're all people and we disagree about things, whether it's political, whether it's, I mean, they're not here this morning, but, but Charlie tells me every week about how I've picked the wrong Pennsylvania football team. He obviously must be in Penn State, because why anyone would root for the Steelers, I'm not sure. Right? We could disagree on things. We're not supposed to fight amongst each other. 
We are supposed to be a unified body. It's a lot like, if I may, it's a lot like a marriage. Maddie told me this morning we fought this morning. I didn't know. I said, when we fight, you'll know about it, and so will the rest of the church, because they're going to hear us from our house. That's right, they'll hear me. She was joking, I think. We'll talk after, yeah. No, but, but here's the thing, right? A lot of you in here are married and have been married for a long time. If you're going to sit there and tell me you've never disagreed about something, you're lying, or you don't have a very good marriage because it means you don't talk about things. It's okay to disagree. It is not okay to go at each other and tear each other down. That's not okay. You do not have the freedom to do that. Now, there are a couple of select things that you cannot tear the person down but leave over, okay? If I get up here some Sunday morning and go, hey, or kick somebody out over, hey, you know what? This Jesus thing, been reading a lot about this Muhammad guy, and I think that he's pretty good too. And we're going to follow both of those. Both of those can get to heaven. Yeah, we should have a conversation about that, and I shouldn't be your pastor anymore. If I get up here on a Sunday morning, though, and go, hey, you know what? I think if you want to speak in tongues, that's fine with me. And most people in here go, how dare you? A gift of the Spirit? We can't use that. Ha! Oh, that's not grounds to leave. I'm just telling you. We're not supposed to fight amongst each other. Disagree? Work things out? Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes, if you come to a board meeting, you will probably hear my dad and my aunt going at it. They've done it for 60-plus years now. That's not even fighting. We're good. It's a great old time. Poor Gail is sitting in the back going, oh no, oh no. <laughs> and I'm sitting at the front laughing. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Who's going to win this one? No. Right? We can disagree in different ways, right? My dad and I, when we've had disagreements in our life, we haven't gone quite at it like you and Christina have, but we've gone at it sometimes because we're fiery personalities like that. Maddie... I don't know has ever yelled at anyone in her life, and I don't know that she could if she tried. In anger. I told her the one day, we were in the car, right? So, I'm a fighter. I was raised by my dad with the same personality as my dad. And I like duking it out with people. I do. Do you know how frustrating it is when you marry somebody who doesn't? It just makes me more mad that she won't fight back. And then I'm upset at myself because I'm like, how can I get mad at her? She's not getting upset with me, or at least openly upset with me. This isn't fun. It's fun to yell and scream. The fact of the matter is, disagreements are okay. Fighting is not. And it becomes fighting when your issue is with the person, not with the, um, the issue, the, the, the actual thing. When you start attacking the person, now you're fighting. You're never supposed to tear down another believer. You're only supposed to build them up. We will all disagree. Some of you in here might have disagreed with some of the stuff I said this morning. Okay. Get in line. Sometimes I disagree with some of the stuff I say. I have to come back the next week and go, no, I didn't mean quite that. This is what I actually meant, right? It happens. 
but we are supposed to build each other up and not fight. Celebrate your freedom today or tomorrow, whenever, right? Tomorrow is the actual day, right? Celebrate the freedoms that this country gives you. It is the greatest country on earth, bar none. There isn't one that's close. You might not like everything that's happened in this country. I don't like everything that's happened in this country. That's okay. It's still the greatest one on earth. For however long God decides to keep it that way, it is. And I will celebrate it. And I will celebrate the men and women who in the uh, 1776 through I think it's 82 fought and died. And then in 1812 fought and died. And then 1861 through 65 fought and died. And so on and so forth up through the ages to keep this country what it is. I will celebrate that and I hope you do too. But while you're celebrating, remember, God's granted you freedoms too. Use them wisely to bring people to know him. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you that I'll speak only for me. I'll let everybody else speak to themselves. I am eternally grateful that you decided to have Samuel Brush born in the United States of America. It's an incredible country. I thank you for the freedoms you have given us. I pray, though, that we would help us not to use those freedoms to drive people away from you, but to bring them closer to you. I thank you for not just the freedoms you've given us in this country, but the freedoms you gave us on the cross to be free from this yoke of slavery, of sin, of, of this world of death, and, and to walk in freedom knowing that one day I'm going to get to be with you. I praise you, Father. I love you, as we all do. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.